Welcome to the Offensive Interference Podcast presented by FootballGamePlan.com. I'm Gene Clemens, the coach, a.k.a. Preacher. You can reach me on Instagram, on Twitter, at Gene Clemens. For any comments or anything that you want to, any topics you want to hit up, I'm always here for debate. I call this podcast Offensive Interference because I'm an offensive player and I like to cause a little bit of disruption um, to the status quo. It's great to be back with you again. Great to have an opportunity to talk. We took a little time off for the holiday, the July 4th holiday. And yes, I called it the July 4th holiday. I did not call it Independence Day because quite frankly, my people didn't become independent when most people in the country became independent. And so I call it the 4th of July because that's what it deserves. Doesn't mean I don't love my country. Just means it took a little bit longer for my country to love the people who look like me. I did enjoy myself, and I hope you enjoyed yourself and got some relaxation, saw family, got a chance to travel, whatever it is you chose to do with your time. Even if it was, hey, I got on Twitter, I had a few arguments. Nothing wrong with a few arguments as long as you're respectful. It's great to be back. Great to have an opportunity to talk with you, and there's been a lot going on. Um, a lot going on in the news, and, and I definitely want to make sure that we touch on them. There's been a lot in the news, and I think the one thing we can say for certain, and it's whether you agree with it or not, it's open season on athletes. It is, you better be squeaky clean, or you have better done something so low down or on the down low that no one ever finds out, because if you've done anything negative, in your life as an athlete, it will be brought to light in today's society. This is the same society that tried to throw Dante DiVincenzo under the bus for using rap lyrics back when he was, you know, 15, 16 years old. The same society that looks at what a man does as transgressions after he's already served his time or after they've already been found to not be um, guilty or not be responsible, we still as a society hold it over their head that they were ever even accused. When you look at athletes and especially football players for some reason, when you look at what they're going through today, And I see where even though Ezekiel Elliott doesn't face any charges stemming from um, a case that he had, a sexual assault case, even though he didn't face any charges, it's still a part of the narrative on him whenever people want to bring up the negatives. You look at Jameis Winston, and even though he never faced charges for any of the allegations that came his way, he was still painted with the brush. So even when you're found to not be liable or not even or to not even be responsible enough to be put on to be put in front of a jury when you know law enforcement deemed that hey, whatever happened, 
it's not enough for us to go forward with. Anyone else in society would be exonerated. Anyone else in society, people would say, you know what? They investigated. They found no wrongdoing. Heck, they do that with police officers all the time. When they get in trouble, when they do something that they have no business doing, and they're exonerated or, or they, their cases don't even go to trial, people go, well, the people who are paid to do these types of things decided there was nothing to prosecute. Yet when we come to these athletes, when it comes time for these athletes to be held to the same standard, they're not asking to be held to a lower standard. They just want to be held to the same standard as you would a police officer they still get drugged through the mud. I know one thing. If I could give any advice to an athlete in today's society, it's bunker down. So many of you are doing great work in the community. So many of you are helping in so many ways. This, this country does not care about that. They're not looking for the good that you do. And when I say this country, I should be more specific. The media in this country don't seem to be looking for the good that you do because the good that you do doesn't sell newspapers. The good that you do doesn't get more people to click on their stories. They're looking for the negative. So show them a world without you. Show them a world where you don't reach out and give a helping hand, where you keep your circle tight and your net tight, where you don't give them interviews when because you're promoting some type of event that you're doing. There are so many avenues and so many places that are looking to uplift the good things that athletes are doing in this country. And yet it seems that the same outlets are the only ones that are getting legitimate access to what these athletes are doing. And then they sit back and wonder why they're being drugged through the mud. It's because these athletes don't care about you personally. They don't have your best interest at heart. They have their brand or their products interest at heart. And they wanna sell newspapers or magazines or they want to get more clicks on their website. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm saying that's not necessarily what journalism was all about. Journalism was supposed to be telling the entire story. And what we're getting now is we're getting a country full of tabloids, not necessarily of journalism. We're getting tabloids masquerading as journalism. There was a time where... TMZ broke a story, people would laugh like, oh, that hasn't been, that hasn't been verified. And now TMZ stories are being ran by, by major news outlets as, as fact before it's ever even legitimately fact, fact checked. No one cares about backtracking statements anymore. You know why? Because the, the people aren't demanding they're not demanding that they backtrack statements. When you hear about someone who was wrongly convicted, you don't hear about it on the front page. You don't hear about it as the first story in a news story. It's usually back page, somewhere in the middle, 
um, at the end of a news cycle. Because that's not what sells. People don't want to be wrong or journalists don't want to be wrong. Society doesn't want to be wrong. But society is quick to tell you when you're wrong. So these athletes out here need to be very careful. I'm not even saying don't do philanthropic work because God knows that we need people out there that are continuing to advance the cause to, to, to do great things for our young people to help when needed. You just have to be more careful about your circle. Just because ESPN wants to wants to cover your event that you have going on, look at the ulterior motives. What else do they want out of you? Because I guarantee you if ESPN or Fox Sports or some of these big outlets, SI, if they're coming to cover your good your feel good story, they've got another angle that's going to sell more papers or going to get more clicks than that story is. So, Jameis Winston, congratulations, man. You've got a beautiful fiance. You've got a, a beautiful child. You know what? Stay to yourself, man. Just, you've been trying. You've been trying to ingratiate yourself into the community in Tampa Bay. Um, and while some have embraced you and, and love what you bring, there are others that are just looking to bring you down. And some of those people are in the media. Not all of them, but some of them are in the media. So it's best that you just stick to yourself, become the best quarterback you can be. And once you've ascended that mountaintop where they can't possibly try to knock you off, and then you want to come back out into the light and start doing more things where you're visible, go right ahead. But for right now, I think it's time for you to play the background, be about your business, be about your family, and leave all the other stuff to everyone else until they begin to appreciate you the way that you should be appreciated while holding you accountable for the stupid things that you do. Because there's no doubt about it, there have been some stupid things that you've done. No doubt. But I think and I believe, knowing all of the things that you tried to do, that your good outweighs your bad. But like I said earlier, the only thing that this that this media cycle is going to look at and really be really be on is the bad. Now lately, I've seen a lot of heat on the NFL and the NFL gets a lot of heat and a lot of it deservedly so. Um but recently I've heard a lot of sports news outlets speak about the way the NFL doles out its punishment. And a lot of the figures in sports media, the, the talking heads, the high, the, the, the well-known people have said, oh, well, how do you give someone like Jameis Winston three games, but then someone gets popped for PEDs and they get four games? How do you give someone who committed sexual assault a lesser charge than someone who used PEDs. Well, I'm not going to get into why someone gets a lesser charge for assault. I'm going to focus in on the PEDs and why, in my opinion, it's the most important thing that the league needs to address. And that comes down to the fairness and the honesty of the game. 
at the end of the day, the NFL should not be in the moral business. That is the job of the police. If they if they decide that someone's committed a crime and that is the job of the fans to decide if they want to support a business, if that business employs people they feel have questionable character. That is not the NFL's job. Not only do I think the NFL is justified in giving a harsher penalty for those who use performance enhancing drugs, I don't think it's harsh enough. At the end of the day, people who use performance enhancing drugs, they are cheating their company. They are stealing money from their company. What do you mean they're stealing money, Gene? How is that possible? Think of it this way. Someone who uses performance enhancing drugs has already said, I can't do this on my own. In a sport that relies on athleticism, power, strength, they've decided that they're not good enough on their own, that they need help. And they don't just need the help that's already provided to them with all of the supplements and doctor's aid that, that every player has access to on a team, but that they need to take it a step further and they need to use something that's a banned substance. Once you say that, you're saying, I'm not good enough. For whatever reason, hey, I've been injured. And so because I've been injured, I'm not good enough. Hey, I'm just a step slow. And because I'm a step slow, I'm not good enough. Hey, I'm, I'm a little weaker than most. And because I'm a little bit weaker than most, I'm not good enough. And because I feel I'm not good enough, I'm going to use these other means in order to be successful. Well, you cheated the game. You cheated your employer into believing that you were good enough without it. You cheated them. So they paid you something they probably would not have paid you otherwise. You cheated your fellow players because they believe that you're good enough without it from what they see. But in reality, when you get suspended, that tells them, oh, he wasn't good enough. That's why he had to use. You cheat players who are not in the league, who are a step away from the league. I think about somebody like Mike Golick Jr., a guy who was a starter in college, a guy who's a starter at a successful high-level Division I school in college who couldn't stick on a practice squad in the NFL. Imagine if he had decided, hey, I'm going to use performance-enhancing drugs because apparently they don't think I'm good enough. I'm missing something. And that got him further along than it did. Imagine how that's cheating the other players who are not. So when you look at what performance enhancing drugs do, it's clear that it should be not only punished, but it should be punished harsh. Lane Johnson, right, right tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles, wasn't busted once, he was busted twice. So not only is he saying, I'm not good enough, but even once he did it and got busted, he said, I'm so I'm I'm not good enough that I need to do it again.
twice. And he got less than a year suspension on the second one. To me, when you get busted for performance enhancing drugs, you should be gone for a year. The next time you get busted, you need to find another career. You have people who are serving year-long suspensions, indefinite suspensions for using marijuana. Marijuana is not a performance-enhancing drug. Marijuana is usually something that people are using for recreational use. If anything, they're using it as pain management. That's not performance-enhancing because we know that marijuana slows down the brain process. And if you're not sharp on a football field, you can get hurt. If you're a step slow on the football field, how's that going to help you? But yet people are serving year-long suspensions for smoking marijuana. Yet we have a guy who's been busted twice for performance-enhancing drugs. He gets less than a year. So when you look at that and you say, okay, but what does that have to do with them giving Ezekiel Elliott only six games for or Jameis Winston only three? Well, clearly you're not thinking. If they're going to be in the, in the moral judge and jury, don't they at least have to have some type of plea bargain? Don't they have to have some type of, uh, let's, sweep it, let's try to get this over with since we don't really have any proof? At the end of the day, maybe the NFL went to Jameis and said, look, we don't know for certain if this happened, but if you say it happened, or if you say that you made a mistake, we'll drop you down to three games. Instead of having it drag out over an entire off, over an entire season where you're constantly back and forth in the news whether or not Jameis Winston did this or Jameis Winston did that and new, new developments in the Jameis Winston case. All we heard last year was Ezekiel Elliott this, Ezekiel Elliott that. And ultimately, Ezekiel Elliott's six-game suspension being when it happened cost the Cowboys an opportunity to make a playoff run. And if they make a playoff run, who knows? Maybe they would have been Philadelphia. Maybe they would have been the, one, the team of destiny. We don't know and we'll never know. Speaking of never know, there are some things that we're never going to know in the NFL and it saddens me to say it we will never know how good Teddy Bridgewater could have been we'll never know if Teddy Bridgewater could have been Joe Cool and through no fault of Teddy Bridgewater has this happened this is a direct product of the impatience and the lack of loyalty that NFL teams have towards their players. Teddy Bridgewater was hurt doing what he loved. Teddy Bridgewater was hurt doing what he loved for the Minnesota Vikings. And the year before he was hurt, he had them a play away from advancing in the playoffs. 
Teddy Bridgewater proved that he was a starting quarterback in the NFL. He rehabbed. He worked hard. He stayed loyal to the team. He helped out his fellow teammates when he could. When he was healthy, he didn't clamor to get back into the game. He knew that there was a hot hand. He was going to let that hot hand ride. He was a great teammate. And when it came time for Minnesota to show loyalty, they decided, nah, thank you, Teddy Bridgewater, but no thank you. Yet teams in the NFL are constantly asking players to give them loyalty that they're not willing to do in return. They are constantly, constantly looking for ways to screw over and to cheat players out of the money that they rightfully deserve. Whether it be in these contracts where they front load them or they design them in a certain back, excuse me, back load them and design them in a certain way to where they'll never get an opportunity to see the largest portions of that money whether they're not willing to be patient in the development of a player, whether they decide to move on for a player in lieu of a sexier pick, whether it's them deciding that they're going to throw a player under the bus for what a coach didn't handle correctly, or whether or not they're going to throw a player under the bus for the lack of um, something other players didn't do. The loyalty in the NFL is non-existent. However, they have somehow duped the American people, the fans, and especially the media into believing, well, it's a business and they need to handle their business and these players need to be grateful at the opportunity to play in the NFL. Well, if these players didn't play in the NFL, who would they get? If you if you listen to what others say, they have a hard enough time populating the league with enough talent to be to be um supported and be um productive on a whole as it is. So if these players aren't playing, then who's going to play? More importantly, I've never heard a hospital say, man, that doctor should be lucky. He should be fortunate to be a doctor at this hospital. They should be fortunate. You know why? Because a good doctor will go and be a doctor at any hospital they want to. I've never heard, I've never heard law firms beat their chest about how their their lawyers should be on their knees thanking God that they get an opportunity to work at that law firm because a good lawyer is going to dictate the terms of their employment. A good lawyer is going to go and work wherever they want to work because that's a really good lawyer. So why in professional sports, especially in football where the non-guaranteed contract is king 
are we so quick to go, these players should just be thankful to have a job? As if they didn't put in just as much work as a lawyer, as a doctor, as a businessman, as a gamer, as a, as a um, computer programmer. They've put in just as much work and they've put in even way more sweat equity. They've put their body on the line way more. Their, their, their life is shortened because of the sacrifices that they make. And they have a small finite window to make the type of money that sets them up for the rest of their lives. And yet they're told to be grateful as if anybody could do their job. Get, ladies and gentlemen, newsflash. If you go into, if you go into a press box where I've been and you look up and down that press row and you point out how many people could play a down of football in the NFL, I guarantee you stop short of a hand. You may, you may not need all five fingers. The NFL is full of a bunch of special athletes, whether it be mentally tough, physically exquisite. These people put their bodies on the line every day. And the only thing they ask in return is to be treated with some type of respect. Instead, a running back like Le'Veon Bell has to continue to play with no security net. One year deals, essentially. We're going to keep you from being able to go get money from other people, Le'Veon. But we don't want to pay you what we know you're worth. We'll pay a wide receiver. We'll pay a wide receiver $100 million. Your stats are just as good as some of those wide receivers. And you also give us rushing statistics that are the best or one of the best in the league, and yet we still won't pay you. DeMarco Murray just announced his retirement. You know DeMarco Murray only played seven years, seven seasons in the NFL, and every year they were running them into the ground. Those years in Dallas, they were running them into the ground, running them into the ground, and you know what? When they felt like, okay, we ain't going to pay this dude, they let him go. Tennessee picked him up, ran him into the ground, ran him into the ground. Oh, we got a cheaper version ready? Let him go. To the point where I'm sure DeMarco Murray said, man, screw this. I'm not going to keep trying to bounce around and find teams that might be willing to let me, you know, take more years off my life for minimal money. And he shut it down. That is... That is the equivalent of a comet. He's here one minute, he's gone the next. That's Terrell Davis. And yet, when you look at the net worth of a DeMarco Murray and compare it to the net worth of Jimmy Garoppolo, who's only started seven games in this league, how in the world how in the world have we come to a level where we justify paying someone who's proved nothing 
that type of money. I'll never understand it. I myself, I'm not a believer in paying quarterbacks that kind of money. I think the most overrated thing in the NFL is the worth of starting quarterbacks. Because I believe the backup quarterbacks could get the job done if they would just be given the opportunities. Set up offenses that work with multiple quarterbacks. Canada does it. Canada gives multiple quarterbacks opportunities. The NFL, if you got more than one, then you've got none. That's such an antiquated way of thinking about the game. And it leaves your team paying Jimmy Garoppolo over $100 million. And Kirk Cousins over $100 million. And overpaying for Ryan Tannehill and Blake Bortles. And the list goes on and on. It's the reason why um, Fitz, Fitzpatrick still has a job in the NFL. And all you would have to do, hey, you know what? We're going to draft a quarterback every year. Or we're going to draft a quarterback every other year. Not just some throwaway quarterback from on Wachita Baptist that we know we're going to cut, but somebody that's going to push that starter. And guess what? You can devalue a starter if your backup is close to him. But if you purposely find a starting quarterback, then put nobody behind him of similar talent, you never give that quarterback an opportunity to be pushed. And therefore, they become comfortable and com become complacent that you're going to pay them the money that they probably don't deserve, which is going to eventually hamstring your organization. There's only one New England Patriots. There's only one Tom Brady. They're the only exception to the rule. Everybody else needs to come on board. And these players need to be treated better outside of the quarterbacks. But in the NFL, the hypocrisy of the way we treat quarterbacks compared to other positions is laughable. Down in Atlanta, they said, you know what, Matt Ryan, you've done a great job. Oh, it doesn't matter that your contract isn't up yet. We're going to extend you and extend you to a level that guarantees you exorbitant amounts of money well into an age that you will have most likely declined past the level of being able to be a frontline starter for us. Great, congratulations. I mean, I'm not telling anybody not to get their money. Matt Ryan, applause go to you. Like, like, like seriously, I'm all about it. But then that same team turns around and looks at Julio Jones, who is putting a lot more body on the line, who, when he's out, the offense doesn't run the same, who is one of the most valuable wide receiving commodities in the NFL, and they say, oh, you've got you, your contract's not up. We're not really looking to redo your deal. Yeah, we know that there are wide receivers who have done literally half of what you've done. 
We understand that you're in the prime of your career, but we just don't want to pay you that kind of money. And then have the audacity of their fans and the media to go, well, I don't understand what he's doing. He still has a contract. I don't understand what he's trying to prove. How is he trying to get more money? He still has a contract. Since when does a contract matter in the NFL? The NFL, the only time they care about a contract is when it works for them. So why shouldn't the players feel the same way? If the contract doesn't work for them, they should renegotiate. And they should not catch flack from their fan bases or from the media that cover them because they do. Because that's hypocritical. If you're not going to bang on the Falcons for giving Matt Ryan, whom I believe has been overrated, money that he didn't earn, money that they didn't need to give him yet, how could you possibly have a problem with, the, with, with Julio Jones asking for more money? Because he's earned it. He's worth it. You're not going to find better wide receivers in the NFL than Julio Jones. You'll find different wide receivers in the NFL than Julio, but not better. Antonio Brown is not a better wide receiver. He's a different wide receiver. DeAndre Hopkins is not a better wide receiver. He's a different wide receiver. But I put them all up on the same plane. And there's no reason why that man should not be getting paid at the level of his contemporaries. But this is the hypocrisy that we have allowed to happen in the NFL. And in my final thought today, can anybody tell me another sport besides football and to a lesser extent basketball where playing ability doesn't seem to be a prerequisite to being the coach of a team? Now, I'm not saying that people who don't play football can't be coaches. Clearly, we see that's not the case. We see Bill Belichick and many others not named Bill Belichick have success in the high school, college, professional ranks coaching football. I'm not saying that they should not be able to coach. My question is, why does it seem as if a sport like football, which has particular intricacies that you only really understand if you fully immerse yourself in the game, seem to be so easily populated by people who never played the game? Doesn't happen in baseball. You find me a baseball manager that didn't play baseball and most likely didn't play baseball at a high level. You find me somebody in soccer that's a soccer manager that didn't play soccer. You find me someone in hockey that didn't play hockey. 
You find me a golf instructor that didn't play golf, a tennis pro or a tennis coach that didn't play tennis. I guarantee you those numbers are few and far between, yet they seem to be more abundant in football and to a lesser extent in basketball. Why is that? Is it that perhaps the owners believe that the people who populate the game, the guys who play the game, aren't intelligent enough to assume the roles of head coach? Why does it seem that the only people who get a chance as head coaches that play the game usually end up being guys who are quarterbacks? And most, more specifically, guys who were career backup quarterbacks. And don't give me that, that, that ridiculousness about, well, the backup quarterback you know, had, to, had to know every offense. and had to, well, Everybody's got to know. Everybody has to know this is football. The only other sport that you can get killed playing is combat sports. Football is on the same level. You can get killed going into a game unprepared, going into a game not knowing what you're doing is is it's counterproductive. It's like walking around in traffic without knowing when the light's going to turn green. You just don't do it. Yet, when we look at football, we see so many coaches get the opportunity who never played the game. And then so many players who want to get into coaching, they find it such an uphill battle to become head coaches. We see it in basketball, too. To a lesser extent, though, because I think it's more positional in basketball, but still wrong. I mean, Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens ascended up the basketball uh, of the basketball ladder so fast, you would have never known what would hit you. Yet Patrick Ewing sat on benches for years. He sat on benches for years and had to eventually go to his alma mater as a collegiate coach in order to get a chance. I'm looking at someone right now in the NBA, a very sharp, a very sharp mind, Jawan Howard, who I believe should have had a head coaching job the moment he hung up his 19 or 20 year career in the NBA. He's still a, he's still an assistant. He's still languishing as an assistant. Yet we continue to see these guys who never played in the league or who didn't play college basketball get opportunities. Same goes in football. You know the names. We don't have to go over them again. Why is it different? I have a feeling I know. I have a feeling that somewhere in the recesses of the people who are making the decisions, because the client, the, not the clientele, but because the people who populate football, the players, primarily black, primarily come from areas where maybe they didn't have the greatest upbringing, maybe don't speak the, the, the most clear English in the world, 
Um, maybe they didn't finish their their collegiate education. They don't get those opportunities. Plenty of major league baseball managers don't have a degree. Plenty of hockey managers, hockey coaches don't have a degree. Nobody's looking at them sideways. You know why? Because they have an education in their sport. And so do football players. I believe it's about time that the players took the power back and started demanding to be led by people who look and feel more like them. Or else we're going to continue to have the status quo be what it is. That's going to do it for me today, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate you joining me again for the Offensive Interference Podcast presented by presented by footballgameplan.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Gene Clemens, Instagram at Gene Clemens, essentially anything social media at Gene Clemens. If you have comments, you want to tell me how, how terrible I am, if you want to tell me that my takes suck, it doesn't matter to me. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your feedback again. I'm here for healthy debate anytime. And until next time, y'all take it easy, love each other, and be safe out there.